Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about something that I feel like can resonate with all of you, any parent actually, and that is how to let go of how life should be, whatever that may mean to you. And we're going to go into what that might mean to you and how life actually is and how when we do that in our head, whether it's about our child, it could also be about our partner or it could be about our job. It could be about our life or our family right? What it should be and not celebrating what it is because the image of where we want to be and the image of the reality or the reflection of the reality are incongruent. The reflection's not the same. And so we're disappointed, we're frustrated, maybe we're striving to get that to that perfection and we feel like we can never reach it. I want to talk about that because that is a real buzzkill in life. <laughs> you know? and. You know, it's something I've been struggling with myself lately, and so that's kind of why I picked the topic. But before I get started, we're going to dive into this in depth. I want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. And the cool thing is they are available all throughout the U.S. and even outside of the U.S. And it's virtual, so it's very easy to sign up and get your child into therapy. And it's been so hard to find really good trained OCD therapists, and they are really helping with that gap. So you can schedule a free 15 minute consultation just to see if NoCD is even a right fit for you and your child. You can go to treatmyocd.com. That is treatmyocd.com. I will leave a link in the show notes. All right, let's talk about this letting go thing. So I want you to close your eyes. (laughs) You're like, oh my gosh, this is a meditation. What is she starting with? Close your eyes if you're not driving, if you're in a safe place. Don't be, don't, don't put yourself at risk. But if you feel like you can do this and it's not going to be awkward, close your eyes for a second. And I want you to really talk to your heart and say, what things am I hanging on to? How do I want life to be? When I think about my kids or my child with anxiety or OCD, or I'm going to dive deeper. Even you can think about your partner, or you can think about your job, or think about your family as a whole. And you say, this is how I feel like it should be. And this is how it is. And where are the discrepancies? Because I guarantee you, for most of you, there is a discrepancy between what you feel like life should be on some level. It'll be different for each one of you. And where it is, right? I'm going to talk specifically about parenting, but I want you to know that we can really zoom out and we can talk about life in general. Because I think sometimes, you know, I hear people complaining, and I think I have definitely a different perspective having lost a husband at a young age and and suddenly that I can see when I hear people struggling, you know, with their partners or struggling with their jobs. And not fully accepting how it just is. Because all we have really is now. We don't really have tomorrow 
because tomorrow can, we can never catch up to tomorrow because we have now, and then we have now again, and then we have now again. And we don't have yesterday, right? That's in the past. So this can show up in different ways with our kids with anxiety and OCD because they often aren't what we thought. And we may not want to say that out loud because we don't want to hurt their feelings or we don't want to admit it to ourselves because it sounds almost blasphemous, you know, but maybe you thought your child would be doing a whole bunch of extracurricular activities and, you know, having a huge social life and maybe they can't even barely get to school. Or maybe you thought your child would be off at college now, but they have to stay home and do online because they're afraid to leave the house. Or maybe you thought your child would, you know, eat you out of house and home because they're in puberty, but they have food issues and they're half starving to death. Or maybe you thought you would be talking about, you know, band and, you know, sports, but instead you're talking about, you know, therapy and appointments. I don't know. But when I say those things, I can feel the disappointment, you know, like, man, this isn't what we're supposed to be doing. And a lot of times friends and family and even the educational system doesn't help with this because they can add their shoulds. In fact, they can even dictate your shoulds. They can say, shouldn't she be doing this by now? Or shouldn't she be done doing that by now? Or shouldn't he be, you know, out doing this? Or shouldn't he be okay to be able to do that? Right? You get it from the school too. You know, he needs to be da-da-da-da. Or shouldn't she be doing this? And you can even get it from your pediatrician or from other professionals. Even some therapists who are not skilled at empowering parents and they might make you feel like a bad parent. So what do you do with all that? I know for myself, I've been having a lot of shoulds lately. And that's kind of where the topic came up because I was sitting there actually this morning. That's how much forethought I was giving <laughs> to this podcast. I mean, I love my podcast, but a lot of times I wait for a topic to like resonate with me. And sometimes I'm like, come on, nothing's resonating. This is episode 246. And so because I really don't like having guests on because I love just talking to you directly. I'm like, no, I've talked about that before. I've talked about that before. I think there's a million different topics on parenting and anxiety and OCD. So I don't think I'll ever run out, but I wait for one to really resonate with me. And I was thinking about how I have been feeling bad the last few days for a variety of things. But the theme was, you know, they should be doing this or they should be doing that. And it started with my son who was you know, he was doing some annoying things. <laughs> First of all, I have misophonia. When people eat loud, it bothers me. So he's sitting there eating, which you'd think I'd be celebrating because the boy has ARFID, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, and, you know, had to be almost G-tubed about a year ago. So you'd think I'd be like doing a happy dance, but misophonia doesn't have to make any sense. And I do have an episode on that. So if you're like, what is that? Because I think I have that, or I think my daughter has that. You can go to my website at atparentingsurvival.com. Just go to the bottom, go to the search button and type in misophonia. It's M-I-S-O-P-H-O-N-I-A. I'm doing that for my head. You know, I have like, I feel like I, I can't spell unless I write it down. So I'm sure there's probably a name for that. We can throw labels on everything, but anyway, you can search for that. So I was getting a little frustrated. I was getting a lot frustrated, to be honest. I was starting to feel really angry. Like, oh my gosh, he's being so annoying, you know, chomping like that. And 
I currently, like he was doing his hair away that I didn't like. And I was like, oh, he should be wearing his hair this way, not that way. And, and then I was like, I need to love him for who he is right now. You know? And I, I had been working with a coach on just life things, grief things, because of this really rough past year with my husband passing away. We've been talking about relationships and stuff. And she said, you know, sometimes life throws us challenges and it says, can you love me like this? And can you love me like this? How about here? Can you love me like this? We're talking about it kind of from a spiritual perspective. And I thought that was really powerful. And in that moment, I, I kind of heard her voice saying like, can you love me like this? Right? making all this noise that's triggering your misophonia, you know, and being kind of awkward. And, and I think the awkwardness triggers my own social anxiety and wanting my kids to be cool. And so that's, that leads me to another should, right? I want my kids to not have the struggles that I did with social anxiety, where I felt ostracized. I look back and I feel like I was quirky and I was nerdy and I was awkward. And I felt Like if I can go back in time and help my younger self, you know, change that haircut or, you know, don't wear those and I could just tweak things, then I could have had a different childhood, which of course is not a hundred percent true, but I definitely didn't help. I didn't help matters. (laughs) I was a hindrance, not a help to my uh, social life, but I wanted my kids to not have those struggles. And yet each one of my kids have had those social struggles that were kind of similar to mine. And that's not how I wanted it to be. That's not how life should be, right? There's the should in there. My kids should have a good social life because they have me to train them. I know what mistakes I made. If they have social anxiety, I'm a professional. And so they should be able to really succeed socially, which is not happening. Each one of them have their own unique social struggles for different reasons. I mean, my 18-year-old is doing phenomenal now. She's having a really good senior year, and I'm so happy about that. But for so many of her years, it was, oh, she should be doing this, or she shouldn't do that. She shouldn't do that. That's so awkward. And it ruined our relationship because for a long time, I was like, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't wear that. And I am noticing that I'm doing that with my other two kids too. And it's totally driven by my own insecurities, but that should is damaging more than just, you know, my mood. It is damaging my relationship with my kids because they're not living up to what I think it should be. And so I get more frustrated and I'm not seeing who they are. I'm not finding the beauty in who they are. Now I'm not saying that this is a problem hundred percent of the time. I'm trying to give you an example. Because I want you to think about what yours should be. And it doesn't, it's not just one thing. That's just an example. That happened a couple of days ago. And I realized in that moment that I was missing the beauty of that moment, even though, like, you know, the chomping wasn't beautiful, because I was putting my own shoulds on top of that image instead of soaking up the beauty that is my child, right? The other thing is, my kids shouldn't be on medication. I don't want them on medication. I never thought that I would have pill bottles for my kids. I don't like that. Other people don't have that. So I started to feel bad about that. This isn't what I envisioned. I should get them all off medication. But then I started to think, what was life like before? Well, my son, who has OCD around eating, and he has pans, pandas and pans. You can Google that if you don't know what that is. You know, he was emaciated and almost G-tubed a year ago. And when I look back at pictures, 
I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea it was that bad because you're blind to it at the time because it happens over a period of time. And now he is healthy. We actually just went to the psychiatrist today and the psychiatric nurse practitioner, but that's where we go. And he has gained 10 pounds in seven months. That's amazing. He looks like a healthy boy. And so, yeah, the medicine is doing that. The medicine's making him have an appetite. And so is that a bad thing? I mean, okay, he shouldn't be on medication, but is there anything bad about what's happening because of he's on, because he's on medication? No, he's gaining weight. He doesn't have to be G-tube. My daughter who has celiac, she's on stomach medicine and she's on anti-anxiety medicine and she is doing a world better. She's not curled up on the couch struggling because her stomach hurts every night. She's not crying in the morning because she doesn't want to go to school. So what is that should about? Is that a societal should, right? Because there's nothing bad happening, right? In fact, if I remove it, bad things will actually happen. And so that's a societal should on that one. Another one for me, and I'm just giving you these as an example, because I want you to start thinking about what your shoulds are. Since my husband passed away, we are not eating dinner at the table. And the other day, I'm, I've been on like a tangent of shoulds. I said, you know, my kid, we should be eating dinner at the table. Well, why is that, Natasha? <laughs> because that's what families do. And this isn't good. You know, this isn't good that we're all in different spots eating at different times, right? But when we did eat at the table, it was like pulling teeth to get everyone to go and sit down. And no one enjoyed it. And my kids eat at different intervals. My son, because he's got eating issues, you know, he grazes and eating is a stressful time for him. It's not a social time for him. And I have misophonia. So to hear a couple of them, I won't name which child eats the loudest and it's not my son, you know, it's, it's not enjoyable. Normally I'm like, you know, close your mouth, please. And my teenage daughter, she's a grazer because she has, she had feeding therapy eating is an issue at my house. (laughs) She had feeding therapy as a child. She was failure to thrive. I mean, major sensory processing issues. And so dinner's not really a go-to bonding thing. And so what is that should about? Should I force us all to eat at the table because it seems like the right thing to do? It's the thing that families do. Or should I say, you know, that's not when we bond. We really bond when we travel. Traveling has been a number one priority this past year. It continues to be a priority. And we bond when we are on these weird trips or we're on adventures together, like that's when we bond and that's okay. Otherwise, it's okay for everyone to do their own thing. So those are just some examples of my shoulds. Those were the things that kind of made me think about this topic is, wow, I'm often thinking that we should be doing something different than we're doing. Now, how often do you think, you know, my child should be able to go on a play date or my child should be able to sleep over at someone's house. My child should be able to sleep in their own bed or my child should be able to take a shower without being tormented or feeling triggered, or my child should be able to watch TV with the rest of us, or my child should be able to blah, 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 right? Anxiety and OCD rob us of a lot of shoulds. They really do. But here's the big but in this. When we focus on what our kids or our family aren't doing, we miss the gems that that are there. We miss the hidden reality of, of what is good. And I know that sounds kind of cheesy to say, and it's really hard for me to like articulate it in a way that maybe will resonate with you, but I know, and this is going to be a little bit of a tangent, so stick with me, but I know 
with my husband, you know, we'd get stuck on little things. You know, he should be, you know, more loving towards me, or he should show me more love, or he should, you know, I should feel more love from him, or he should stop clicking his AirPod case every night. That's so annoying. (laughs) Or he should put his phone down and focus on me when we're doing things, or he should, there's a lot of that, right? And now that he's gone and he passed away, it's like, oh gosh, I wish that I hadn't spent some energy wishing that he just wasn't who he was, you know? I mean, and we all do this. I mean, especially in grief, you know, we kind of, hindsight's twenty twenty, and we kind of beat ourselves up for wasted time. But I've taken that lesson because I can't get back that time. If I could go back in time, those little things just wouldn't mean much for me anymore. I just would just totally accept him for who he was and whatever he wanted to give me. And I would just be content with that. But we can never get the insight because people don't go around saying you have, you know, 12.3 years with that person left and you, you've used 11.5 of those years. And so you should really soak up the rest of it. <laughs> you know, I think that would make us all a little neurotic if we actually knew those type of things that probably wouldn't be helpful. But the sad part is then we wind up feeling robbed. Now, I'm going a little depressing with you and I'm sorry about that, but I'm trying to bring home a point. And what I've done in this past year and what I've, the reason why I'm doing this episode, because I feel like it's a lesson that we can all kind of soak up is just because I can't get that back with my husband doesn't mean I can't get that back with other people in my world. And so do I want to say, you know, life will start when my kids have crushed anxiety or OCD, right? Then, you know, the life as it should be will, will reach that. Like it's an end goal. Or do I need to look at what's going on right now and find the hidden gems in today? Because that's all we really have. And it's a waste of energy and time to focus so much on the lack, so much on the disorder, so much on the problem that we forget to focus on the good as well. And it's not to make you feel guilty or to be like, oh man, now I got to worry about this. It's actually to bring some more joy to your life because when we are hundred percent focused in the moment, you know, our kids don't walk around being disordered all the time. There's lots of time in between where they are, they're sparkly and there are things that we can really enjoy and connect with. And sometimes it's letting things go. And it's letting go of what you want things to be. And it's accepting how things are and saying, you know what, right now, these are the compulsions or these are the anxiety things that are just, they are, right? It's just like even with weight. I think I remember hearing Oprah saying this one so a long time ago. I don't know why it resonated with me, but she said, I just accept what what weight I am every day. And my long-term goal is yes, you know, maybe I want to get to a certain weight This isn't me, but this is Oprah. And I'm good, but I'm still going to accept and love who I am every day when I show up. I don't know why that resonated with me because I do feel like, you know, self love is really important. So that's probably why. But I feel like that's also the case with our kids. Yes, our goal is to improve and reduce their anxiety and OCD, but we're going to show up and soak up because we all love our kids. You're going to say, oh, no, I always love my kids. Well, you know, sometimes it's hard, (laughs) you know. But I'm going to show up and I'm going to find, I'm going to find the enjoyment in my kids periodically in, in the day-to-day 
there's magic in the day-to-day. And I know for those of you that are exhausted and you're feeling like, I don't know, Natasha, I don't know what that magic is. It's not quantity, it's quality. So even if you have one moment where you're like, your heart sings for a second, you know, that's worth, that's, that's, that's worth everything. Yesterday, I think it was yesterday, my youngest daughter, I'm trying to think if I was tucking her in, you know, and I was looking at her cute little freckly face, you know, and I was just thinking how much I love her. You know, when she said something kind of silly, she said, I have so many questions. And sometimes that kind of, you know, that kind of overwhelms me because she asks questions, especially this past year that are really hard, you know, about death and about dying. And, you know, when you're dealing with your own grief, it's hard. It's hard to be the anchor for your kids. And it actually becomes very triggering because I'm like, oh gosh, I can't handle this. But she said, and they're not important questions. I just wonder, you know, like how did, how did the first person develop language? How do we all start talking? I have so many questions. <laughs> I just looked at her little pale face and my heart opened up for her in that moment for that two minutes, you know, and it's finding the quality in that little sparkle that you have where you can just like really appreciate or soak up something that really can make or break your whole perspective in your whole life. And so I, don't, I just don't think we look for those moments and they get lost they get lost in the shuffle because everything is so overwhelming. And I'll give you some more examples because I really want you to think about your shoulds. You know, what things are you thinking? You know, my, my child should be this, or my family should be this, or I should be this, or my partner should be this, my job should be this. And, you know, sometimes for those things that are not our kids, it might be life is too short. And so maybe yeah, I need to change my job if I could, or I need to go to marriage therapy or, you know, whatever it may be. But a lot of times it's just accepting what's right in front of us and, and really celebrating it. So here's a really minor trivial one, but it actually is one that kind of drives me nuts. <laughs> so I say my daughter should brush her hair. <laughs> she really should. Now here's the interesting thing. One of her social anxiety compulsions, I mean, it really, it was social anxiety, but then it kind of turned into OCD was that she would obsess about her hair needing to look straight. She doesn't want to look like me. She kind of looks like a carbon copy of me. But if someone said that to her, she'd get really insulted, which kind of insults me. But she'll always be like, nope, nope, I look just like my dad. And she would say that before he died. So it's not even a dad thing, like a grief thing. But she doesn't want my hair, which I totally get, because who would want my hair? It's not the best hair. If you ever see me in person, it's, uh, you know, it'd be frizzy if I didn't put a zillion pounds of water-based wax in it. (laughs) So there's a lot that goes into my hair to flatten it out so that it doesn't look like a Brillo pad. And so she had these periods of time where she'd want me to get the straightener out and she'd have like complete meltdowns about her hair. And it got compulsive because when we were on vacation at one point, she actually had to hold her hair. She didn't bring a straightener or we didn't bring a straightener. And so she had to hold her hair and she could only use one hand during the trip, especially eating, because the other hand had to be holding her hair so that it was straight. So it went beyond social anxiety to almost, I would say, compulsive. We worked on it, you know, and she worked on it and we did a lot of exposures and challenges around it. And, you know, she was on some anti-anxiety medication as well. So she swung in the opposite direction and now she doesn't care about her hair at all. I mean, at 
all. (laughs) She's 10 to the point where it looks like a bird's nest is in her hair. Like I told her, you're going to get dreadlocks. And so, you know, I write it on the board because I have like dementia now that my husband's gone. Like my memory is really bad. So we have a whiteboard and I write down on the whiteboard, you know, showers. I write when they've showered and when they need to shower. (laughs) It's so sad, but you got to do what you got to do. And so when she showers, you know, I'll say brush out your hair and she will. But in between the showers, which I will admit are longer than I would like, right? There's another should. My kids should bathe every night, but they don't. They bathe probably. Ideally, they should bathe every other night, but sometimes it doesn't make it on the board or the kids are tired or I'm tired. And so it gets even longer and her hair looks a mess. And my son's hair is not not that much better, but part of it is just his hair and she will not brush her hair. And she'll say, mom, you should be happy. Like this was a problem for me. And she's right, you know, and she's 10. And she'll say, are you like, is this your social anxiety? Are you having a problem with this? And I'll say, no, I mean, like, it's normal to have life skills. It's normal to like brush your hair, but she's a very strong-willed child. And do I really want to go to battle with her so that she can brush her hair so I could feel like a good mom so she can go to school and people won't make fun of her and, you know, the school system won't think that, you know, her mom is failing her at home. Nah, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Right? Especially if she's come a long way, I got to let that go. And so that's another example of my daughter should brush her hair, but she doesn't want to brush her hair. And she used to have a clinical issue about brushing her hair. It wasn't really brushing her hair, but straightening her hair. So I'm going to let that go. And it makes me uncomfortable. But one of the things that we talk about with our kids is how to learn how to sit with discomfort. And so for us, Some of us, we have to learn how to sit with discomfort of having our kids not show up in the way that maybe they should, right? Maybe they're sleeping in your bed and they really should be in their bed. Or maybe, you know, you have to take them to a birthday party or maybe, you know, you have to walk them into school or maybe they're not even able to go to school. And we're like, my daughter should be in school or my son should be in school. But the bottom line is he's not there yet. He's got a lot more work to do in therapy before he can get there again. Or, you know, maybe they're taking hour-long showers, but you're not there yet. Maybe they're using all your soap and they should be using less. Or they're clogging your toilets and they should be using less. They don't know how to stop wiping. But they're not there yet. And we have to meet our kids where they're at. It doesn't mean that we come, we become complacent and we say, I'm just going to accept them how they are. I'm going to let go of, you know, all their struggles and we're just going to love them for who they are. I'm not saying that because I think that's too extreme. And we really, I have worked with parents who are like that. Obviously not for a a long time because they're like, that's just who they are. And I'm going to be okay with that. No, we want to give our kids help, right? Because nobody wants to be compulsive or nobody wants to be so anxious. They can't function, but help is one step at a time. And help is one of their steps at a time because we can't walk for them and we can't force them to walk. And so they can do our stuff, but they have to do their stuff and they may not be ready to do their stuff or they might want to like, you know, walk in really tiny baby steps and that might frustrate us. But you work on what you're working on, but in the interim, don't forget to celebrate the kid that's right in front of you. Because I have worked with families where all they see is is the dysfunction. All they see are the shoulds. 
she should be doing this by now. She should be doing that by now. She shouldn't be doing that. She shouldn't be doing that. He should be doing this. He's not doing that. There's no space for anything else. There's no space for the beautiful person that's in front of them. And there is something beautiful about every single person. There really is. And we don't give space to celebrate that. And so then we become more drained. And I think sometimes we think we can't celebrate them because who wants to celebrate when, you know, your child can't do this and they should be doing this already? What's there to celebrate, Natasha? And I'll say, you know, there's always something to celebrate. I mean, do you want to like not celebrate life? That's really depressing. And you're not going to have another today. I know that sounds really depressing too, but you're just not. You know, today is going to go and you'll never get today again. You're never going to be this age again. You're never going to have these experiences again. Every day is like a snowflake. They can't be replicated. And even if you're having a horrible time or a horrible day, or your child is having a really, really rough time, find, find that one little sparkle. You're not going to always find it and that's okay. It's the intention, right? Can I have one moment where like my heart soars? Can I have one moment where I see your beauty beyond the struggles that you're having or beyond this family that I am resenting? And it actually is a boomerang, like a good boomerang, because when we shift our mood, even for a minute, it comes back to us tenfold in in a very physiological way. And they've done research to show this, that that boost, that hopefulness, that uplifting moment in time where you saw something that made your heart sing. And I know that sounds cheesy. Trust me, I get, I get that I'm sounding very cheesy right now, but this is something that I am working through and I am seeing a huge difference. It does resonate and ripple, uh, not resonate, but it does ripple throughout your house. There's something called mirror neurons, you know, and our energy is, is felt in our family. And so when you feel that, that kind of, that pause for appreciation or for love, even if you don't say anything, it is felt it's, it's felt in your house and it, it can really shift the mood in the house. Not that it has to, but it can. And I find that this is going to sound a bit cheesy, but I find that gratitude for what I do have, instead of focusing on the lack of what I don't have, has been huge in my recovery. And I would actually say recovery from grief because grief knocks you off your feet and some people never get back up again. And I get that. I really do because it's very hard to get back up. But one thing that I have been doing, and I know that I am blessed with not having a nine to five job. I've got this beautiful online job where I am able to have space in the middle of my day. So trust me, I get that that's a beautiful gift, but I go on a walk every day. I know I've talked about this before, but I go on a walk every day and I'll start to force myself to, to think about the beautiful things that are happening right now. So not the shoulds. Oh my gosh, my kids should be eating normal. My kids should be eating at a table. My kids shouldn't be on anti-anxiety medication. My kids shouldn't be struggling socially. My kids shouldn't look awkward sometimes, you know. Those are going to happen automatically, right? And I'm not going to beat myself up for having those thoughts because we don't control our thoughts. We just control what we do with them. And so they're going to happen. But for 45 minutes of my day, most days, I actually have been really consistent with this. I will walk in the desert. I don't know what's going to happen when it gets hot. I actually have a vest <laughs> that I bought last summer where you can put like ice packs in it. And so I was able to still walk, even though it was like 110 degrees out. 
and not die of heat stroke. So who knows? But it doesn't matter because that's not happening today. So I'll just worry about today. But I'll walk and I'll think, what things am I grateful for? And not in a cheesy way. Like I will really focus on my heart. Like what things am I really grateful for? You know, gosh, I'm so grateful for this job where I'm able to be home, you know, and this wasn't the case five years ago or even two years ago. You know, I'm grateful that I have just huge group of parents out there globally that I get to support and who give me the opportunity to do it on my own time. And I'm so thankful that my kids are all physically healthy right now. You know, and so I just go through these things and I'll think how I'm so glad that I'm really working on myself. And I'll I'll start to think about and I'm so the desert's actually really beautiful. There's this hummingbird. <laughs> I'm gonna go on like a bit of a tangent, but there's this hummingbird that follows me when I go for a walk for the past, I would say month. And it's like, it's got very specific coloring. It's got like a purple collar and a green tail and hummingbirds are really tiny. So the coloring is very specific and it just follows me. Normally it's like one little spot, probably that's where it lives, but it'll follow me for a little bit in my walk. And I'll just think how grateful I am for the hummingbird. I know this sounds really stupid, but when I start to focus on the things I'm grateful for, and I think oh my gosh, I'm so grateful that my kids are, you know, smart, or I'm so grateful that they're loving. Now, not all of them have all these attributes, and I'm sure your kids have different attributes, but there are things that, that make your heart sing, not your head, right? And this is the, this is the thing that I've had a hard time with. I know what I should be thinking. And sometimes I'll say like, you know, and I think people can do this. You'll say, well, what am I grateful for with my kids? First of all, this sounds stupid. (laughs) So that's negative, right? But so your heart's not in it right from the get-go, right? If it sounds stupid to you, then don't even do it because it's it's not going to be heartfelt. But the mood shift is probably just as powerful as medication, honestly. The mood shift where I could be deep, deep down in kind of a depressive state with grief and being by myself and I'll, you know, my shoulds are like, oh my gosh, like, Who's going to take care of me when I'm older? I mean, it's amazing the worries that you'll instantly have when you're a young widow. I start to think about, I don't know who's going to take care of me. And I start to worry about like, what if I break a hip? What's going to happen when I'm 90? All my kids are going to be moving away. Like, I, (laughs) it does not take much for my anxious mind to like really bring me down. But I have to manually shift gears and say, now I know we're we're talking about anxiety and OCD and I'm just showing you with my grief, but I have to manually shift gears and say, what things am I appreciative of? And even in that deep, deep depth of unbelievable sadness and overwhelm, I can find things I'm grateful for. It doesn't mean that I don't still have that pain, right? So when you focus on your kids, the things that make them sparkle, the things that make you laugh and the things that like make your heart open up, that doesn't mean that you're blind for their struggles. It doesn't mean that you're discounting their anxiety or OCD. It doesn't mean that you are not working on their anxiety or OCD. It doesn't mean that you're turning into Mary Poppins and you're, you know, turning a blind eye to the struggles. It just means that you are also seeing the other side of the coin and that you are learning also how to celebrate and dance in the rain. Because what if that's all you have? There's no guarantee that there's tomorrow. And so waiting for your kids to be quote unquote better, waiting for them to be able to do all the shoulds that they shouldn't, that they should be doing right now 
you don't know. Nothing's a guarantee. And so it's kind of like the person who waits for retirement, right? Like my husband and I, we were like, these are all of our plans for retirement. And, you know, this is the plate. We're going to get an extra house here and we're going to travel here. And guess what? That's not going to happen. <laughs> you know? This is kind of turning into a depressing episode. I'm sorry. But it's not going to happen. All of those shoulds are not going to happen. And so when we wait for a certain end goal, when she can do this, when she can go on her own or when she can st- when she doesn't have panic attacks or when she, or, you know, when he can eat better or when they can do this, then life will be good. Then I'll be happy, right? Then we'll all be happy. Find the happiness now. Don't wait. Life is messy. Things will progress. Things will get better because they do when you're working on them and you should work on them and you will work on them. You take one step at a time. This is the goal I'm working on. You know, maybe I want her to sleep in her own bed, but we're just trying to get her out of my bed and maybe into a cot next to my bed. Or I want her to go to school, but you know what? We're getting her to actually sit in the school parking lot for an hour. That's where we're at. Or I want him to be able to eat, you know, normal meals with the rest of us, but I just need to get him to drink a protein shake three times a day. That's where I'm at. And as long as he's doing that, or as long as she is doing that, or as long as they are doing that, then that's good. That's where we're at for today because that's the goal we're working on. And, you know, getting a little bit tunnel visioned about it and saying, this is what I'm working on today. I'm not going to overwhelm myself with the rest of it. It's going to help your mood. It's going to help you survive and not only survive, but there are moments where I can really, really have so much gratitude and grief at the same time, right? So you can have both. You can have grief for what you've lost and grief for what should be. And you can have bliss for what is at the exact same time. I know that sounds really, really weird. I walked into the nonprofit group, Billy's Place, that we go to every other week for grief group. And they had on the wall, they, they write different things on the wall. And it's funny because a lot of times they're things I already thought, think about. And it said, you can, it might've been around Thanksgiving. It said, you can have gratitude and grief at the same time. And I thought, oh my gosh, that makes me feel so much better. Because sometimes I think we can almost feel guilty about feeling gratitude when life can feel so dismal, right? How can I feel gratitude when my child can't even eat? Or how can I feel gratitude when my child is impatient right now? Or how can I feel gratitude when my my child is in a partial hospitalization program? Or how can I feel gratitude when my child can't even get off their bed or can't even leave their room. I know that a lot of you have severe situations going on at home. I get it. But I can have gratitude and also grieve for the loss of my husband. And that's deep. That's hard. But those two emotions, you know, having hard feelings or sad feelings for your child being in the place that they are and also celebrating who they are are not mutually exclusive. So when we do that, we actually wind up soaking up life a lot better. So just some things to think about, just kind of talking and rambling and letting you know some perspectives on life. And I hope that for someone out there, this resonated and you're thinking, you know what, that's a really good way to think about things. And I'm going to, I'm going to work towards that. I think the goal is not to have that way of thinking. I think it's showing up every day and having that philosophy because we never master we we never master thinking this way. It's a way of being 
It's a way of thinking. And every day, you know, is a new day where we have to have the intention to, to think that way. It doesn't come naturally for a lot of us. It definitely doesn't come naturally for me. And so it's just a good reminder. And it's a good reminder for me too. So I hope that you are enjoying the podcast. I hope you're finding this helpful on any level. Thank you for those of you that hit a star and rate it where you listen to podcasts. And for those of you that take a little extra time and write a review, I really appreciate it. I am going to look and see if there are any to read. I do like to end the podcast reading some of them if I haven't read them before. All right. Sometimes I can't find any, but I did find one that I don't think I've read. I want to thank Guanali who wrote, your podcast has helped me understand OCD. It gave me tools to help my daughter. Your topics are interesting and entertaining while giving more than tips. It has been a lifesaver for me. She was writing from Guatemala. So thank you for taking the time to write their review. I really appreciate it. I'm glad that you're finding it informative and helpful. And maybe if you write a review, I'll be reading yours next time. So don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.